0: Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We have been uh, in a series of the last few weeks called The Space Between, and this series has really just been focusing on the fact that God has been fighting from day one to eliminate the space between you and Him that the most important thing to God is relationship with you, is intimacy with you. And so he's done everything on his part to make that happen. And so week one, we, we went all the way back to the garden. We looked at how in the garden when sin was uh, introduced, when it entered the picture, how it immediately put space between God and Adam and Eve. And we looked at the fact that the way that you and I may perceive God handling our sin is actually so different than the way that he did. And he actually was making away from that moment in that garden to win his people back, to have relationship with his people once again. So we looked at the next week, how when God has the opportunity to present himself to the world, he sends his son, Jesus. And so if you have ever wondered who God really is, what God really looks like, how God really talks, how God really reacts, all you gotta do is look and read about who Jesus is, because Jesus is the picture of who God is. And so we looked at how Jesus he takes God who is so beyond comprehension for us, and he, he brings it to us in a way that we can relate to, in a way that we could understand, in a way that we could embrace. And so uh, we looked at that, and then last week we, we talked about the importance of not stopping short, about how God partners with you and I because he gives you calling and he gives you purpose, he has a destiny for your life. And too many people, you will experience salvation, you'll accept salvation, and then you just kick your feet up and you you think that you can just ride on into the sunset. And God is saying, I have so much more for you. There's such a big part of this relationship with me and you that I want to use you. I want to work through you. And so we talked about not stopping short after salvation, but actually pursuing and investigating your calling, your God-given calling, and, uh, and how amazing that is when you begin to walk in that. So, you know, we hope and pray that this series has maybe opened your eyes or maybe reminded you of some things that if you have been settling for anything less than a close, a personal, a real relationship with God, uh, then you're really, you're jipping yourself because there's so much more to this uh, than just attending church, attending Bible studies, that this really is about a personal, real relationship. So we're gonna do something a little bit different tonight as we close this series out. We're gonna share with you a couple life stories. And these are two people that are a part of our campus um, and they have been. And, you know, I love being able to do this because it is so easy to attend a service, to attend a church, to sit next to people and have no idea what people have been through, what they are currently going through, the people to your left and to your right. And I love being able to shed some light on people's stories and how they encounter God and the difference that God has made in their life. And so I trust I know that this is going to encourage you tonight and know that you're going to be moved by it. You know, if you have attended our campus for for any length of time over the last year, I'm sure you recognize these two. They are amazing individuals. They are they play such a a huge part in what we do here every week. Um, they they serve on our teams uh, in various capacities, and they they basically both just bring the attitude of whatever needs to be done. I'm here. I'll do it. Give it to me. They're awesome. Um, I, I was joking around on Sunday. With, um, with Matt, you know, even some Tuesdays when he's not able to make the service, Matt would come two hours early, help us set up, leave, go do what he has to do, and then come back and help us tear down just because he wants to help out that bad, and so they both have just been such a blessing to our church, and they both have incredible stories, amazing stories, and uh, the the amazing thing is just in the last year, God has done so much in both of their lives, and these, these two stories, kind of intertwine a little bit. So um, I'd love to just introduce you guys to the, to the people first as we jump into this tonight. Uh, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself, ca- uh, kind of tell us about who you are, maybe shed some light on the early years of who Matt Haber actually is, or maybe,
1: yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I got you, I got you. Uh, all right, I'm Matt, and I'm a grateful recovering heroin addict. Um, early years for me, uh, you know, I was brought up in a, in a, in a good family, uh, my parents provided for me very well. We lived in you know the beautiful suburbs of Holbrook in a gated community and um you know they did they did their best to uh give me everything I wanted you know growing up um to fast forward a little a little bit uh my grandfather had passed when I was uh twelve right and um that really Hurt me, in a sense. So I, I felt like um, something was missing, and uh, I, I feel like I felt like I needed to be comforted, right? So that's when um, this battle began. Uh, I started at 12 years old smoking a little weed, which is crazy because I have kids now and they're like almost that age. So it's crazy to think about. But anyway, I. Um, I started using drugs, dabbling and, you know, drinking and smoking a little bit. And, you know, I, I, when I did that, I felt that comfort. You know, it was like a, um, a void that I was trying to fill. And, and when I did that, you know, I felt whole again, you know? So uh, that's where everything really started and, um, you know, progressed from there as the years went on
0: now Chris why don't you give us an idea of uh, of who you are give us a little background on uh, where you've been and what's brought you to this point
2: um, well my background isn't as colorful uh, you know I come from a great family um, very close-knit Italian family and uh I was lucky enough to to marry my junior high school sweetheart, and uh, you know we had uh, we had our our one our one son. Life was good, uh, or so it seemed. Um, you know, life life was just life. That that's all it was. We you know we worked. Um, you know, I have a good job. You know, my husband worked. Uh, my son, he you know he went to school. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. I I have some friends, but I, I wasn't living with with much purpose. I don't think I didn't realize it then. I know that now. Um, and that's really it. You know, s- life seemed to be okay. It was it was okay. It was it was no more than that. It seemed better then uh, while I was living it, but it isn't until things unfortunately start unraveling. Um, when you realize what you need, and a lot of it isn't even what you have.
0: It's really well put. Speaking of unraveling, um, you know, I know it's starting at such a young age of 12 years old, uh, uh, you know, I know we've spoken. In the moment, you may feel like that void is filled or that void is numbed. You might be less aware of it, but that fleeting feeling of once it's gone, being even more empty than you started, you know, being even more hopeless than you started. So could you start to walk us through these teenage years,
1: uh, kind of the progression through teenage years? Right. Uh, I felt like it was, you know, filling that void, but really what it was doing was making it bigger, right? Um, so, like I said, I, I started smoking and drinking a little bit, and I really didn't um, see it as as to be a problem, you know, and um, I got married at a young age, and I was 18, I got a good union job, and everything was, like, smooth, and, um, you know, a few years went by, and I got into a car accident, and that's where, like, the tables really started to turn, because uh, I'm sure everybody's heard this story before, like the doctors prescribe you these medicines and then they just cut you off and that's when I went um, searching for that, you know, because uh, it was tough, it was tough to just put it down, I couldn't do it on my own and um, I don't know, it was it was uh real real feeling of like hopelessness, and like I couldn't i don't know, i couldn't I just couldn't do it on my own, and I needed that to like feel okay, you know, which is terrible, so do you have kids at this point i do I have three children, three boys I call them the three wise men <laughs> 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 and uh. You know, I really, I really put my family through a lot of pain, man. Um, nothing else mattered at this point, but uh, Matt and his drugs. You know, everything else came after that, and and this goes on for a lot of years. I'm talking like six, seven good years of day in, day out. Uh, struggling with this, you know, and, um, the pain that I've caused and, you know, stealing and lying and just doing whatever I could do to, you know, get that next. And I don't even like to call it a high because after so long, it wasn't even about getting high anymore. It was just strictly so I wasn't physically ill. And, uh, I always made excuses on, like, why I couldn't go to rehab or or an institution or something like that. And I was like, ah, oh, I have kids. I can't go, like, leave work. And, you know, uh, my wife didn't work at the time, so it was like I was um, providing, which I really wasn't. Uh, I was only providing my habit. And, um, you know, it was it's hard it's hard to talk about because it's terrible um some of the things that i've done and put them through you know and it's just yeah i
0: don't know so uh you you're struggling for a number of years at this point and then you get an opportunity to move out of the area right to to grab a job and move to pennsylvania yeah
1: so uh my job was based in in manhattan and like the five boroughs so uh we decided to move to Pennsylvania. I thought, okay, this is my opportunity. I can uh, get away from the neighborhood. I won't know anybody. I won't be able to like buy drugs. I'll, I'll, I'll go up there, and everything will be the way it should be, you know. But again, I couldn't. I couldn't stop on my own. It just wasn't happening.
0: Let me pause you right there. So, uh, Chris, why don't you give us a little insight of how you? Uh, Came into our community of what what brought you here how that whole situation transpired and how uh, we know you now today
2: Okay, um uh, I got a phone call. I got a phone call at work one morning from my son Uh, He was sitting in the parking lot at school. He was waiting to go into class. He was uh, studying to be a, a child psychologist and He called me crying. He was hysterical he told me that dad and I were wasting our money and and that he wasn't gonna amount to anything and I had no idea where this was coming from uh... we were very close at least I thought and um... you know he was always just a very kind of nervous kid and I just chalked it up to he just wasn't having a great day he was working full time he was going to school and and it's tough um... so I talked him off the ledge for lack of a better term and I stayed on the phone with him as he drove home. I'm like, just take a break uh, and, you know, maybe get some rest. Uh, So he did that. I called my sisters. We're very close, and we actually – we were all pregnant together, so we all have kids the same age uh, just a few months apart. So – uh, I, I needed some advice. I, I, Ryan's never given me a stitch of trouble, so I really didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. Could you imagine 19 years in and not having to deal with a problem like that? So I call up my sisters, and I'm like, you know, I don't know what's going on with Ryan. Something doesn't seem right. He's, he's overly upset about something, so my sister decided to call him. She's let me call him. Let me see what's going on. Maybe he'll talk to me. And then she calls me back, and she's like, Chris, listen, I don't know what's going on. He really didn't say much, but he said that sometimes he just wishes he could go to sleep and never wake up. I think you need to head home. So I do that. I drive home, uh, and he's sleeping away. You know, he's, he's sleeping, and, and, and I'm okay with that. I'm like, good, I'll just stay home. I'll keep an eye on him. Uh, with that, I push open his bedroom door, and I see there's... Uh, an open bottle of sleeping pills on his uh, on his dresser. I call my sisters back. Both of my sisters they both work at SUNY Stony Brook, uh, so they're like, "Listen, we'll meet you at Martha Hospital um, emergency room. Just just get him there, and we'll we'll meet you there." So I I try and wake him up, which is very difficult, and I get him into the car. And I get him to the hospital, and the nurse is like, you know, what, what did he take? And I said, uh, all I know is he seems to have taken a handful of sleeping pills. Uh, that was it. They take him from me, and um, they're trying to hydrate him. They're doing whatever they do, but because he was 19, he's an adult, they won't tell me anything. So I don't know what's going on. With that, they reunite me with Ryan in one of the rooms there. And I'm like, buddy, you know, what, what's, what's up? What's going on? I know you were upset. The sleeping pills, I don't understand it. And he couldn't even look me in the eye. He didn't want to say anything. He was mortified. And he's like, I-, I can't even say the words. I'll sign a release form so a nurse um, can let you know more about what's going on. So I'm like, all right. And I'm, when I say the furthest thing from my mind... They call me into a room, and they're like, "Listen," and they go through this whole laundry list. There was uh, heroin in the system, crack cocaine, Xanax, uh, and um, and then I, I come to find out that you know, as as Matt was saying, w- when when you're using, you you get to a point where you're not using to get high anymore. You're just using not to be sick, and uh, he. He just wasn't strong enough to continue the hunt for drugs, so he thought that if he could just take his life, he wouldn't have to do it anymore because he just couldn't do it anymore.
0: Now, as a mom, um, seeing th- I mean this coming out of nowhere, what, what I, I could only imagine the fear that immediately grips your heart, the uh, devastation that you would feel, the. Uh, the heartbrokenness for your, for your only child going through this. What what went through your mind? I mean, what what was that? Those those few moments like when you got that news for the first time.
2: Well, what's unfortunate is you really do look at yourself as a parent. Like, you take ownership of it. You know, what did I do wrong? Where did I fail him that he felt the need to seek drugs? Um, I learned a lot about addiction while he was, uh, you know, going through it. And, um, you know, you realize that it has nothing to do with the people around you or the life that you had. It is, it is all just about you and, and accepting you. And, um, you know, he was, uh, he was released on outpatient care. Uh, and he was meeting with, a, um, with an, a drug addiction counselor who was phenomenal. Um, but we made a deal. We made a deal that if he was to relapse, that um, he would go away to rehab. And within a week, within a week, he relapsed. I flew with him to to Prescott, Arizona uh, for for treatment. And the thing is, is I knew so little about drug use and about rehab and addiction that I'm like, I'll send him off for three months, they'll fix him, and they'll send him back to me. Not realizing that that is just not how it happens. and uh, it was a road it was it was it wasn't as long as some roads um, but it was it was a road nonetheless
0: now Matt from your perspective uh, the person who's struggling and the person who's aware of the pain or some of the pain that they're causing their loved ones I, c- I could only imagine uh, from your perspective the perceived disappointment from everyone around you that thinking that everyone is judging you thinking that everyone's disappointed in you what what did that spot feel like in feeling the responsibility of not just having a mother and a father who love and care about you, but a wife and kids who are dependent on you?
1: so it's crazy, but like I knew uh when I was lying and stealing and doing whatever I could, like I knew that it was hurting my family, and uh but at that point it it didn't it didn't even matter because I was going to do whatever it took um, to not be sick, you know, and, and um, I felt horrible, man, like, uh, knowing that, you know, they're going to find out and they, they're going to be upset, and me doing that anyway is um, it's really a terrible feeling when, like like, it had such a grip on me you know, and I just like, it would not let go. Like, they call it like a monkey on the back. Like, that guy was on there, and he was not letting go. And, yeah, it was, it was, it's tough. It was tough. It was tough to uh, kick him off. So you move your family to Pennsylvania with the
0: idea that it's a little cheaper to live the idea that it'll be a little bit harder to find drugs. You're not familiar with the area. This is your your opportunity, your chance for a fresh start
1: to get clean and, and what happens. So we moved there for, uh, I don't know, say two years, give or take. And, uh, of course, nothing changed. We still struggled. Uh, I was still letting everybody down. And uh, after so long, people reached their breaking point, you know. And my wife got to that point and she was like, you know what? I I can't do this anymore. And so she left and left me up there in the winter with the dog. And I was just (laughs) alone, you know. And um, I was there for uh, uh, maybe a month or so, two months. And uh, it got to the point where, like, I knew that if I didn't leave that house, I would not make it out of there alive. Because uh, I've never attempted um, to kill myself, but uh, the thought was definitely real. The thought was definitely there. And um, like I said, I knew if I didn't get out of there, uh, when I did, it. I mean, eventually I, I might've, I might've done that. And so at this point, Your wife and children are gone.
0: Um, I know you said you were even selling everything in the house, right, to support the habit.
1: Whatever. Whatever you could do. As long as it wasn't nailed down. (laughs) Did you sell the dog? No, no. We don't have the dog anymore, but I I didn't get to sell him, no. (laughs) Okay. That's good. That's good. (laughs) He's actually had a good family, so (laughs) it's all right. Don't worry. Um, He didn't go to some porn shop in the middle of (laughs) Pennsylvania
0: where everything else went. (laughs) Um. So so you make the decision, I need to get out of here. I need to do something. So so where do you go from there?
1: Uh, so I decided to leave the house. And I come back to Long Island uh, to my mother's. And, um, you know, still the same old, uh, doing what I have to do. And uh, within a month or so of being back at my mother's, I get arrested for the first time. And uh, they put me in jail. They had me, you know, red-handed. And uh, at that point, like I said, I, I, I needed to be stopped. I, I could not stop on my own. And uh, I thank God that that happened because getting arrested and going through what I went through uh, got me to where I am today. And And when you say arrested, it's not like you got picked up for a night. You were facing... Yeah, they they were talking about like 1 to 3 years away. And I was scared. Like call me what you want, but jail is not cool for those who don't know. Like it's not the place you want to be at all. So I I you know I didn't I didn't grow up in, in a family that like uh went to church. Or did anything like that My mother's a Christian My father was Jewish I was that kid that celebrated Christmas and Hanukkah You know, like So When, when I was in jail I uh, I said my first, like, honest prayer um, Even though I didn't grow up in, in, like, that type of family I still, like, believed That there was some type of God You know, I, I sure wasn't him So Uh I had that belief. So I'm I'm sitting in jail and and I just, you know, like I said, said my first honest prayer. And I said to him like, listen, um, it wasn't any like written prayer or anything. I just like lifted my head and closed my eyes. And I said, listen, if you're there and you're real, uh, like let me know and and show me what to do because I I have little children. I don't want to go to jail for potentially a long time and if there's something that can get me out of this, uh, like show me and I'll do it. And so shortly after that, some doors kind of miraculously open. Yes, I I got um, accepted into like a drug court program, being that it was my first offense and um, the crime was drug related, obviously. And uh, so from there, I uh left jail and I, and I went to rehab which was uh you know a beautiful thing because I've never been to any um type of institution before cuz like I said I've always made excuses on why I couldn't go and so forth so on and so forth but I go to rehab 30 days and uh you know it was nice they you know they come in and clean your bed and you go could feed you it was you know it wasn't so bad, and um I get out of rehab, and I, you know I got thirty days clean, I'm like, okay, I just did uh whatever was suggested to me, you know, they suggested uh going to meetings, right, I said, okay, I'll go to some meetings, I go to these meetings, and I'm listening to what these people had or, or said, and uh It was crazy because I go to these meetings and I see these people that are like my age and you know, they're like happy and like not getting high, not using drugs. And I'm saying to myself, how, how? Like, how do I, how do I get that? I want that, you know? And another thing for me is um, like I said, I got married at a young age. So I didn't have many friends, right? And that's another thing I saw going um, to AA meetings and HA meetings that there was, uh, everybody was friends and everybody, you know, had a good time. And I don't know, I wanted that. So I just did exactly what was suggested to do, uh, which was, you know, do the program, go through the 12 steps, which, you know, in layman's terms, it's building a relationship with God is what it comes down to. So, uh, that's where that went. And so, how how many months sober are you right now? Going on thirteen.
0: It's amazing, man. Give a Absolutely
1: amazing. and and I couldn't I couldn't put together like 2 weeks. I've went to detoxes before which uh the difference between a rehab and a detox is detox is just uh 3 days or 5 days and you know a band-aid and out the door. Um I've done that plenty of times and like I said I've only put together 2 weeks before uh I picked up again. And that's only because um now knowing what i know now drugs wasn't really the problem you know that was my solution to the actual problem which was a which was like a deeper rooted issue um that needed to be addressed so that's awesome
0: so chris i want to bounce back to you real quick um so ryan is in arizona i know you're you're struggling you and your husband and it's a tough time um Tell us a little bit about uh, Kim. Uh,
2: when Ryan was in Arizona, uh, he didn't—he—he he got through three months of rehab sober, but he didn't—he didn't do well in the community there, um, so they wouldn't—they wouldn't let him stay. They wouldn't let him. I mean, who gets kicked out of rehab for—for for not following the rules? He, it was ridiculous. Um, but he left rehab and he went into a sober living facility and. Um, I was mad. I was mad at him that he couldn't like, how do you not follow directions? Just do what you have to do. Do what they ask of you so you can come home. Um, And I remember speaking with my son's counselor uh, and I was just livid. I didn't understand addiction. I didn't understand my son. He was like a stranger to me. And she said to me, you need to find some faith. If you're gonna get through this, you're gonna have to find God somehow and you're going to have to be patient, and you're gonna have to, in order to understand Ryan while he's going through the 12-step program, you're gonna have to meet him where he's at, which meant nothing to me at the time. Um, So that was it, I was on my quest to find some faith. And I didn't, I don't wanna say I didn't take it seriously, I did, but I really didn't know what to do. I hadn't been to the church since I was 17, so I'm picking up where I left off, 30 years later, Um, and, it was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. Um, and then one afternoon, I had uh, I had a luncheon appointment with a business colleague of mine. And I had gotten a phone call from Arizona, which they were never good. And I was very upset. And I had to leave the office to meet up with my business colleague at lunch. And I'm just trying to pull myself together in the car. And I walk into the restaurant and... Um, she takes one look at me. Now, again, I only know her from a business standpoint. That's it. She doesn't know me. I don't even know if she knew I had kids. And uh, she looks at me, and she's like, is, is everything all right? And if I opened my mouth to say anything, I would have broken down. So I just looked at her, and she just reaches out. She goes, would you mind if I pray for you? Um, and I just started to cry. And she's like, listen, um, you know, if you want to tell me what the problem is, I'll, you know. And we're. she's praying for me right in the middle of this little restaurant in Mattatuck, Loveland Kitchen. Um, so, I mean, there's people. You're on top of each That's other That's a small there. restaurant,
0: too. That's Yeah, yeah. you
2: know, so, uh, so, and it turns out that she's like, listen, I go to this. Because ch- I told her, I said, listen, I've been trying to find a church. I just... I just don't feel welcome. I don't feel comfort. I, I don't know what to do. I'm not connecting with anything or anyone. And then she's like, listen, um, I go to church. Uh, I go to the harbor in Santa Mariches, and I'm not sure where you live, but they also have a campus in Patchogue. Um, if you ever heard of 89 North, and oddly enough, I was just here to see a band the Friday before. So I said, yes, I do know 89 North. <laughs> Um, she goes, why don't you just give it a shot? Just go. I, I think you'll love it. I can't imagine that you wouldn't find a home there. So that Sunday, I want to say was October 29th, uh, 2017 was the first time I came here. And, uh, I was sitting out, uh, by myself, I was here early, and I was sitting out on the floor uh, with my tissues, probably sobbing because I didn't know what to do with myself, and someone had just come out to sit with me um, just to say, you know, I could see that you're upset, and we just want you to know that we're a family here, and there's a prayer team along the side if you you think that you could use prayer, and, and it ended up being Pastor Scott. And uh, I had no idea, and it's funny because I was telling Kim, I came across an email that I sent her after I had gone to church, and I said, and even the pastor's son came down to talk to me. I still don't think I knew you were a pastor at the time. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm not a real pastor. <laughs> <laughs> he just plays one on TV. Yeah, that's all. Um, so... <laughs> um, you know, and that was it. I, I had come, you know, and now I'm like, you know what, I found a place that was comfortable, everybody was very welcoming, the welcome committee, but I still remember pulling into the parking lot and seeing people on the sidewalk with the signs. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, where did Kim send me? What's happening here? People have their hands up. Maybe I should have sat closer to the back. Um, <laughs> But you know, it really is amazing when you feel a connection, when you feel a sense of family. You know, um, you know, for a while, you know, that Scott would say, "If you're comfortable enough, raise your hands." It took me a long time to be comfortable enough to raise my hands, and now I think I may have my hands. up Please say it. Um, but that was it. I mean, it was really, I really found a place to call home very quickly. Uh, And that was great. And the one thing that Kim had encouraged was being part of the community. Don't just let it stop. Stop it going to church. She's like, there's all these connect groups and this and that. So I went online and I looked. And the first connect group that I had joined was a deeper class that Scott and Colleen Schneider taught. And it was exactly what I needed when I needed it. Because I really didn't know much about um, religion as a whole. And then I just learned a lot that it wasn't about religion. It was about relationship. And uh, it really, uh, it, it it that was, that was the beginning um, of a lot for me. I just felt, you know, what if I can do this, if if God can see me trying really hard, maybe He can save my son. That was that was my thought. If I could learn how to pray properly, and if I can come to church every Sunday, will you spare my baby? That was that was my intent.
0: So uh I know you jumped in with both feet and uh got involved and uh it was amazing. We were getting to know you and uh this was a year ago, uh almost to the weekend. And Chris, uh I remember you saying you were so excited because you got your husband uh to come and he's helping us out with the egg hunt. And uh My husband
2: doesn't do anything for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so to volunteer at church it was a thing.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) We love Mike. Um, And so you were so excited to, to get him there. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you walk us through what that, that weekend kind of looked for you guys?
2: Yeah, we, we had attended the little training class uh, to do the egg hunt. That was great. And uh, that morning, it was the Saturday before Easter. uh, We were getting ready to come to church. And our, my phone rang, my cell phone rang, and I can tell by the area code that it was Arizona, but it wasn't my son's phone number. And, you know, I pick up the phone, and I'm all excited, and, you know, I'm like, hello, and, uh, you know, there's a pause, and, you know, is this is this Kristen Scalise, you know, Ryan's mom? I'm like, yes, it is. And it was a detective calling from Arizona. Uh, they're like you know a call like this is never easy and the funny thing is is what's going through my mind is oh my god he got arrested something went wrong and 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 he's in jail right now that was that that is what i thought would have been my worst nightmare uh and he's like i'm i'm sorry to say but your your son uh he he, he didn't make it he 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 passed away uh early in the early hours of the morning um and uh and they were gonna be doing an investigation. And I didn't understand why an investigation for what? You have a 20-year-old in sober living. I even assumed as his mom, he was 108 days sober, and I assumed as his mom that he, uh, he just gave in, he just couldn't do it, he just wasn't strong enough, and that, um, you know, that he relapsed and he died of an overdose. And the, uh, the detective said no, that there were no signs of foul play, there were no signs of drug use, that he it just as, it looks like he just passed away in his sleep and they don't know uh, how that could happen to a 20 year old. Um, so it took us a month to find out the toxicology results that he was completely clean when he passed. And then a few months after that, we got um, we got his uh, autopsy back that he had passed away of an enlarged heart um, from his cocaine use. Um, but before finding all that out, you know we have now Easter the next day. So, Ryan's gone. I'm thinking I lost him to a drug overdose. And Easter is the next morning. I had already had plans to come to church with my sister Liz. So she texts me Easter morning and she says, are we still on for our date with God? And, uh, and I wrote back, because I, I save everything. I told you, I told everybody, if you email me or you text me, it will come back and haunt you someday. Um, and I wrote back to her. I wrote, re- I wrote, yes, reluctantly, yes, I am. You know, you can come and pick me up. And she came to get me. It was just the two of us. She picked me up at my apartment, and uh, I guess I seemed to be okay, still in shock, still in shock. Uh, and we 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 park in the back, and we walk through the back, and I just remember everybody with their signs and the celebration of life and and all that and I was mad as hell. I mean, I was mad. I walked in here through the back and I was mad and I was hating God in the moment with every ounce of my being. And I remember saying to myself that I started coming here so you can save my son um, and you didn't. So, you know, I felt I I wasn't that committed. I was only, you know, a handful of months in So, I could leave now, back out quietly, and no harm, no foul. You know, you tried, thanks, but no thanks. Um, But, I was in the middle of having a nervous breakdown. Up at the bar, that sounds odd. Um, That's
0: how we do it here.
2: (laughs) Um, And my sister, uh, she didn't know what to do for me. I was, I was, I'm up at the bar, I'm I'm weak in the knees, I'm probably on the verge of hyperventilating. I remember feeling like I was going to faint. It was just, it was horrible, and I was mad. Um, And I didn't want anybody around me. Um, But my sister knew that I needed to be here. She knew I needed to be here, because I remember I asked her just the other day, why didn't you just leave with me? Like, why would you leave me in church crying like that? And she just said, you know, I I knew that this is where you needed to be. and I didn't want you to leave until you got what you needed. So with that, she called over some people from the prayer team um, and just said, listen, my sister just lost her son uh, yesterday and she's here with me and she's upset. And um, and some people had come over and, and I feel very bad because at the time I was very new to the church. I didn't know a lot of people. Um, and now I know now that Stephanie was one of them. She's one of my Bible study gals. And uh, she had come over, but I didn't know her at the time. And she wasn't part of the prayer team. She's like, let me see if I can get someone from the prayer team. And then she called over, um, uh, she called over Lou and Teresa, uh, who I had just met six days earlier. Not even. I just met them for the first time that Monday. Uh, they were teaching a deeper class that I was a part of on why we pray. So I had just met them, so they were familiar faces. And I remember Lou looked at me, and he recognized me, and he knew that I was going back to church because uh, of my son. And at first he was happy to see me, like, oh, wow, look, it's Chris. And then my sister's like, she just lost her son yesterday, and he came over to me, and him and Teresa prayed over me uh, like my life depended on it, and it absolutely did. And then they, my sister, ushered me into a seat here, and I cried through the entire service, which was the most amazing— one of of the most amazing services I've ever (laughs) attended. Um, But that's one thing that that uh, Pastor Scott had said on Sunday. It wasn't even the message that was planned for that particular service. Um, The service ended up being titled "Anchored to Hope," uh, and it absolutely changed my life. I still listen to it. He sent me the YouTube clip. It's, it's, it's amazing. It really, really is. Um, and I just got a strength from the message and I realized that no matter how much family is around me and how many people support me, if you don't feel the love and connection to the Lord, you're not, you won't get through it. It'll be a temporary uplifting but when you're alone and you're by yourself and all you have is your thoughts, you'll just go right back to where you are. Um, so, I mean, I didn't dive into scripture. I haven't read the Bible. Um, but there's a lot of music that touches me at a level that, that physically brings me to tears. And there's this song, You Alone, that is that exactly is um, that no matter what, that I will trust in God alone.
0: So, Matt, um, a lot a lot has happened in these last 13 months. Um, you know, I know it's been a process. We joked around Sunday. I know that when you said that honest prayer to God in that jail cell, that immediately everything didn't just work out and all the relationships be restored and everything be good. But it's been a process. Um, some of you don't know this, but Matt actually runs our Heroin Anonymous meeting that we host in our space next door. and He's been doing that. He's been doing that for a couple
1: months. A funny thing about that is, like, I I always um I always like took everything to the max, you know. I uh, I start going to meetings, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna start my own meeting, and and I'm gonna like, you know, try to make it cool, you know. And and and, and like, all right, God, like, we'll go with God. I'm gonna go to Israel, and I'm gonna like really learn, cause I guess something like. Uh, that's come to me in sobriety is like, I'm, I've been like really open to learning new things. Right. So, uh, yeah, I've been blessed enough to be able to go do that and, and experience that, which is amazing. That's a story for another time now.
0: Yeah. Matt, Matt came to me a couple months ago and just said, you know, I want to make a difference. I want to help people. And uh, I said, "All right, well, what do you think?" And he said, "I want to do an HA meeting." And I said, "Man, that's awesome. When do you want to do it?" He said, uh, "This week. We could do it this week." I'm <laughs> like, "Okay. You're, we're talking about right now." And uh, and so you know, we sat down, and and I gave him the key, and and I said, "Listen, man, I'm I'm trusting you, and I need you there every week. If you're going to run the meeting, you got to be there every week. You can't miss." He said, "No problem." So month in, I see Matt on a Sunday, and he said, "Hey, I got to talk to you. I'm actually going to miss two of them." And I'm like, "Dude." We just talked about this, man. Like I, I said, you got to be there. Why? Why can't you be there? And he said, "I'm going to Israel." <laughs> and I said, "All right. Well, I guess I can't say anything." That's like the most valid, amazing excuse anybody could ever come up with. It I've worked. never even been to Israel, and so um, it's just been incredible seeing the difference that 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 you've made in so many people's lives, speaking at so many meetings uh being used you know he has anywhere from 25 to 50 people uh once a week coming out to this meeting and he's just been able to help so many people and i'm sure rewinding 13 months ago rewinding to you sitting in that jail cell somebody would have shown you a picture to say look at what your family could be like now look at how god could not only help you but help you help others i'm sure you wouldn't even believe it if you could see it no it's still hard to believe it's so hard to believe. It's amazing. Man, we're so proud of you. We're so proud of the decisions that you made and everything that you're doing to help people around you.
1: It's it's not my doing. You know what I mean? If I got what I deserved, uh, I would not be here right now. And it's all by the grace of God that uh, I'm able to be who I am today and be a father to my children. And, and they that's, that's one thing that um, kind of keeps me going, too, is because uh, my kids don't have to grow up seeing me like that, you know? um, They don't have to experience that. They're going to see me and remember me as this, uh, coming to church with me on Sunday and going out to eat, like building these little traditions and instilling it in them, which is beautiful, man. I I couldn't have asked for anything else. It's amazing.
0: Amazing. So good. So, Chris, as we we begin to wrap this up, um, for a parent, This is worst-case scenario. I mean, you're walking through the deepest grief that anybody could face over this last year. Um, Looking back on it now, how can you see that God was pursuing you the whole time?
2: Well, i I feel that the nine months that I had of going to church prepared me. I mean, he clearly knew that I was losing him. Um, and that I probably wouldn't make it through if I didn't have, you know, the Lord in my life somehow. Um, so there was so many moving parts and so many people that got me to where I am. You know, one person saying, you need to find some faith. Someone else saying, let me pray for you. I know a good church, you know, and then finding the sense of family that I have here. Um, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have come here Easter morning. I wouldn't have been saved the way that I was. Um, I look at life very differently now. Um, all of those cliches of you know, life is too short and this and that, I mean, it all is just really very true. I mean, the last time I had a conversation with my son was on was on Good Friday, so this past Good Friday was brutal just ask some of the girls from bible study (laughs) um you know because it just all comes back um to you know i'm driving home from last year's good friday service at my mom's church and my son was waiting to go into his aa meeting and that was the last conversation we had you know so i just feel that you know god knew that i wouldn't be able to get through this without without him so he kind of prepped me the best way that he can um, to keep me grounded uh, for me to find comfort and uh, and I, I've never I never look back I really haven't I haven't I haven't questioned it once and people don't believe it they're like oh my god you know I, I can't believe you this. and neither do I I really don't I don't know how I do what I do I don't know how I get up I don't know how I can sit up here and, 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 and speak I really don't um, because I'm devastated. I'm devastated on several levels. Um, but I just I just do it. I just the, there's clearly more for me. and I't didn't, I didn't know that and, and it took the loss of my son to know that there's that there's more for me that you know, I said I wasn't living with a purpose and now I do every day. Every day I live with a purpose, you know um, and that's really important to me. You know, I have uh, co-workers and colleagues that are now friends, and I have friends that are now family, and I have family that I have connections with that I love more than they'll probably ever understand, um, and that is, that is all through, through my loss and my, and my, my tragedy.
0: And Chris now sits on a board of an organization uh, that helps um, families that are dealing with substance abuse as well. So both Chris and Matt have just taken this last year and and have taken something that was meant for evil and have really allowed God to use it for good. And it's just so inspiring and so amazing to see what you guys have done. I want to ask you just one last question. What advice would you give to somebody who's here tonight who's dealing with pain, dealing with grief? Dealing with tragedy, dealing with hopelessness.
2: I mean, the advice that I can give is really: uh, you need be open-minded to the Lord because it, it, He works in mysterious ways. I mean, really, um, when you want to give up, He will pursue you and and let him, uh, because you know it, it's. I can't even put it into words. I I really really can't. It's just, it's an absolutely amazing feeling to know that at the end of the day, when you are alone with your thoughts, that that there is someone there that loves you like no other, um, and uh, and that they got you, you know, and um, and it really is it really is great. But I I, I do want to say one one thing is uh, there was. There was a service that that spoke to me twice. I've, I've been able to, to sit through it twice last year and this year. And one of them um, is why we give. And uh, Pastor Scott had said that, you know, when you've been touched by it, you can't give enough. And uh, that meant a lot to me then. And um, I sit on the board of Dying to Live, and uh, the president is the, uh, is the my was my son's counselor, and she... Uh, raises money to help kids get into rehab, to scholarship them to sober living, um, to God forbid if, if if they if they don't if they don't make it to at least be able to help their parents, give them a decent memorial, and all that, and and the inspiration that I got from the church and the inspiration that I get seeing Laura work tirelessly to help people um, had inspired my husband and I as well. Um, so, so that's what we're doing now. We are, we are, we're gonna do our own um, give back and we're going to, uh, we're opening a business to help raise money to give back to the uh, drug and alcohol addiction community um, to help uh, whether it's scholarship kids or um, a scholarship. We gave away a scholarship already to an addict in recovery who was going to school for addiction recovery and um, we're really looking forward to be able to give back as much as we can. And and I thank the church for really opening up my eyes to how important it really is.
0: So awesome. So awesome. You know, it takes so much courage to uh, to come up here and to share stories and to be vulnerable and to be real. And uh, I want to let you know that they have both said that they would make themselves available after service. If you are here and you could relate to one of these stories, and you'd just love some advice. You'd love someone to pray with you or encourage you. They would love to just talk with you and encourage you. We also have a prayer team along the back, and as we close out service tonight, if you uh, if you need prayer for anything, maybe it pertains to what we talked about, maybe it doesn't, maybe something's just weighing heavy on your heart. We got a prayer team that would love to just encourage you, and uh, and just listen to what's going on and pray with you. Uh, but I just want to close the night out like this. You know, as we we bring this series to a close, the space between. I hope that you have just been reminded and you have been encouraged that you have a God who is stopping at nothing to pursue you and to have a relationship with you. That he is a God who goes before you, he is a God who walks beside you, and he is the God who's your defender, who has your back like no other. That he is a God who who desires intimacy with you. That Jesus did not come and give his life and die on the cross so that you could have good church attendance, so that you could perform a, a certain amount of rituals or traditions, but Jesus gave his life for you on that cross so that he could walk with you, so that he could have relationship with you, so that he could be with you throughout life, so that when you have trouble, when life throws things at you, you can take heart, because he's already overcome it, and the same spirit that raised Jesus back to life lives inside of you. So I want to just give you an opportunity tonight as we're about to go into worship just for another minute before we close tonight. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted this invitation of having Jesus come into your life, you know, the Bible says that it is a free gift. It isn't just a gift, it's a free gift. That Jesus came and he paid the penalty of every bad decision that you and I have ever made. Every mistake that we've ever made, Jesus has already paid the penalty for that. He died on the cross so that you and I could just accept what he's already done. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, if you just get to the point, like Matt said a minute ago in that jail cell, where you just say, God, I need you. God, I don't even know if you're real. God, I don't know about all of this, but I'm at a point where I need a change and I need you. And I'm sorry for what I've done. I ask that you'd forgive me. I want to receive this free gift of salvation that he is faithful to come and save you and not just save you, but live with you. That you don't just accept salvation to one day spend eternity with him. You get that and you get life with him now. You get to walk with him. You get his Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and to live inside of you and to be your comforter and to be your strength and to be your guide and your anchor and your compass as you navigate your way through life. So if you're here tonight and you just say, man, God, I need you. Whether it's the first time or, God, maybe I know you, but I'm hurting tonight. I'm broken tonight. I'm sad tonight. I'm depressed. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling weak. God, I need to sense you tonight. I want to invite you. Do you mind? No one's looking around. This is between you and God. But do you mind just lifting your hands to heaven? Can you just tell Him, God, I need you? God, I want you tonight. God, I desire you. Jesus, we stand before you tonight, God, with with arms lifted, with heads bowed, God, with with hearts wide open. And Jesus, we acknowledge the fact tonight that we are lost without you. We are lost without you. Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice that you did thousands of years ago. We thank you that your spirit raised you back to life. And that sacrifice that you made thousands of years ago is still fresh for me today. God, I pray for every person that's here tonight making that decision, God, to accept salvation, that they would feel you tonight like never before, that they would begin to know you like never before. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would comfort every person that is broken. God, that you would bring peace to every anxious thought. Holy Spirit, that you would bring joy into every battle of depression, that you'd bring freedom to every instance of struggle and every instance of addiction. God, we thank you that you have given your life for us, Lord, that you now are the rock that we can choose to build our life on. God, we sing tonight, we remind our souls of who you are and what you've done for us. We love you tonight. Come on, could you sing this out with us tonight as we close?
2: Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next
0: step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.